Father, thank you for this time that we can be together. Thank you for the great privilege it is to be uh, gathered here as your church. Uh, Lord, it is indeed a privilege to be called your child. It is indeed a privilege to be placed in your church, to have uh, the great privilege to come together, uh, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week and engaging in each other's lives and serving one another, caring for one another in various and many ways that, that I experience, that I see uh, happening uh, throughout the body of Christ. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to use uh, this body to accomplish your work in the world for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, we pray for our time together today that it would be uh, helpful as we continue to progress through uh, these different stages of what we're calling theological triage, where we just pray that ultimately we would be uh, a discerning people that would be uh, understanding your word and understanding um, the importance of it uh, as it relates to different areas of uh, understanding uh, doctrine, understanding uh, practical uh, life and and how we are to interact with one another and how to think about these things in a helpful way. So Lord, we just pray towards that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I uh, just kind of want to go through these uh, again to uh, make sure that you're tracking with us. So uh, we've gone through level one, theological matters uh, that are essential to the gospel itself. And that equals or requires courage and conviction all right uh, and then level two we talked about quite a bit last week uh, of theological matters that are urgent for the health and practice of the church and requires wisdom and balance and today we're going to be spending time both at level three and level four uh, on theological matters uh, that are significant to christian theology that requires circumspection and restraint. And then level four here that is really insignificant to our gospel witness and ministry collaboration. And it definitely requires charity and diversity. All right. So uh, those are kind of uh, what we've gone through thus far. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, first-rank theological matters we've talked about are essential to the gospel itself and therefore essential to being a Christian. So really what we're talking about in that category is everything within orthodoxy, right? If you don't affirm these, you're really outside of the scope of orthodoxy, historically speaking. Uh, we've given examples of those uh, that... Uh, hopefully, as I look around the room, I think most of you have been here uh, for those. We won't spend the time to really go into that. But uh, this I do, and I'm just going to keep reiterating uh, these, these points here. Uh, how do we, uh, what, what kind of criteria do we seek to apply to uh, theological triage? And really, I've, I've sought to boil this down, and uh, the author of that book that I've recommended, really largely this comes from him. Others have expanded that out into uh, other areas, but I think these four are really helpful, uh, and it starts with how clear is the Bible on this doctrine, right? Uh, so that's where we want to start with it all. Um, how clear is the scripture on this particular doctrine or matter? Uh, what is this doctrine's importance or significance to the gospel is that second point there. 
Thirdly, what is the testimony of the historical church concerning this doctrine? Uh, so looking at church history and what it has to say about uh, this issue, whatever it may be. And then fourthly, what is the doctrine's effect upon the church today? And just seeking to understand uh, what implications that it has for uh, our lives. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit even uh, today. Uh, secondly, like last week, we talked about theological matters uh, in the second category. Uh, really, these are uh, theological matters uh, that are distinguished from the first order set by the fact that believing Christians may disagree on these second order issues, though this disagreement, uh, and th I'm sorry, through this disagreement, will create significant boundaries between believers. This is really where different boundaries and, and uh, denominations come from. Often that's the question, man, like, how did we get so many denominations? And, you know, this denomination within itself is split off two or three times, and now there's all these. Uh, well, largely it's related to uh, these second-level issues. These issues can make a difference in how we understand and articulate the gospel, though their denial does not generally constitute a denial of the gospel or place someone necessarily outside of the boundaries of orthodoxy. Uh, so that's, that's kind of that level two area. Uh, examples, we talked about these last week, uh, maybe uh, spiritual gifts, uh, continuation versus cessationism uh, would be a great example of that. The issue of women serving as pastors uh, has emerged uh, in that uh, category that, that would definitely be uh, there. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. I think there's been some questions uh, that, that I've had uh, that I've heard from you uh, that we're going to talk a little bit towards the end here about uh, kind of what happens when you get in the middle of this, this whole exercise and there's distinctions and disagreements and uh, those kind of things. Some of, some of those questions have come up. And so we'll talk about that a little bit this week and, and next week as well. Uh, again, uh, same questions. Uh, I want to force ourselves in each level of this is how clear is the Bible on this doctrine? What is this doctrine's importance or significance to the gospel? What is the testimony of the historical church on this? What is this doctrine's effect on the church today? We just want to keep kind of going back to that because that will be helpful. But now as we kind of turn the corner to level three theological matters, again, significant, significant to Christian theology, but requires circumspection and restraint. So there, there's a lot of wisdom here. Third order issues are doctrines over which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship even within local congregations. Christians may find themselves in disagreement over any number of issues related to interpretation of difficult text or the understanding of matters of common disagreement, nevertheless standing together on issues of more urgent importance, as we've already talked about. Believers are able to accept one another without compromise when third order, third order issues are those in question. And so uh, maybe an example or two, third order issues would include differences in interpretation on various matters, practices, and traditions. We'll, we'll get into uh, some of that here today uh, to kind of flesh that out and, and talk about what specifically we are talking about in that, that category. Uh, same questions, right? We still want to keep going back and forcing ourselves through 
these questions in order to uh, get uh, those answers as we were working through uh, that grid to come to an understanding, is this a first level, second level, third level, or what I'm going to present to you uh, hopefully at the end of today as kind of a fourth level, which I wouldn't even necessarily call theological matter. Uh, it's just more like preference matters. But reality is where life is lived in the local church, it's actually in this third and fourth level that most of the issues arise. Uh, it's not in that first and second level uh, category, which is a little shameful, frankly, because there's plenty to be discussed at the most significant level, uh, but it's really often in these lesser significant areas that uh, our personal preferences and uh, issues get involved and, and we start uh, you know, bickering with one another and dealing with uh, some of those kind of issues within, uh, within the church. But uh, let's talk about these third-ranked doctrines a little bit. Just as in war, there are battles that we should simply avoid. Years ago, when I was taking a self-defense class, one of the first lessons that I was taught is that no one walks away from a fight unhurt. So if you can avoid the fight altogether, that's the best outcome. And this is certainly the case in third-ranked theological matters. Uh, a uh, Chinese... Uh, general that uh, wrote The Art of War, I would try to pronounce his name, but I guarantee you I'd mess it up. Um, you guys, I hear it. Somebody's saying it. Yes, thank you. Um, he wrote this uh, book, and he wisely said, if a battle can't be won, don't fight it. It's wise. And it's wise as we think about this third and fourth category today. There are many ways to render ourselves ineffective for the kingdom of God. And we have talked about first-ranked doctrines and the need for conviction and courage to fight for those doctrines, and a failure to do so makes you ineffective. If we're at that first level and you are unwilling to have the courage and the conviction to fight, you will end up being ineffective for the kingdom. Uh, you need to understand that first-rank issue in order to know that I am willing to die on these things. These are convictions that I hold. But to be impulsive and hasty in our approach to third order matters leads us to a fault in personal character. We can, if we take the same level of conviction and tenacious fighting in third and fourth level issues as we do in first, you will be disqualified from ministry. Whether that's at a pastoral level or whether that's at a lay level, uh, your character will disqualify you when you're taking and picking up these levels of issues because they will escalate into things that are simply uh, not uh, becoming of a Christian. However, there's another way to render yourself ineffective for the kingdom. And approaching third-rank doctrines, as I said, in the same spirit as first-order doctrines. It's potentially harmful and ineffective for your Christian witness. And to be, uh, just as I said there, impulsive and hasty towards that will 
cause damage in relationships. Often at this level we have personalized something that is not intended to be personal. Rather than seeking to simply do our best to understand the scriptures related to the issue at hand, we begin to take it very personal and take personal offense if someone disagrees with our position. Especially on third-rank issues, we should be like a wise military general, as we talked about, and be characterized by patience far more frequently than by action. Uh, Just understand that, hey, there's going to be people that on these third-rank issues that are going to disagree with me, and it's totally okay. Like, most of it is going to have very little impact to your life, to the church, to their lives. It's just not going to have the kind of impassioned conviction that you might be approaching that with. You see, most battles you could fight, you shouldn't. And as I mentioned before, the majority of doctrinal fights that Christians have today tend to be over third rank and fourth rank issues, not the most important things. And it's deeply important that we learn to cultivate greater doctrinal humility, forbearance, composure, resilience in these areas rather than just ready to go at it and just do whatever it takes to be right. Um, And this concept of third-rank doctrines is less common and often less clearly defined compared to those first categories that we've already talked about. The term third-rank or tertiary are not widely used and the category of doctrines into this third rank is not as standardized as those first kind of classifications that we've talked about, right? Because orthodoxy has a whole lot of time spent on it throughout the history of the church to really kind of lock it in. But when we start moving down this list, it's a little more difficult to have clear-cut parameters of what fits in these categories. However, if we extend the concept to understand that, um, that we are to consider these things in a way that I'm, I'm speaking about in the spirit of forbearance and grace, uh, it will be very helpful as we think about these things and not just get so kind of myopically focused on which category, you know, do these things uh, perfectly fit in. Um, these could include matters where differences and beliefs are tolerated, with even greater flexibility. Uh, So uh, that's just kind of all helpful preamble to talk about this as as we get in. So uh, what are some? I think I've given you some some blanks there for uh, some examples that we'll talk about. Uh, So in times, in times, or what's what's the blank that I gave you? Uh, Yeah, in time details, That's, that's it. Details, that word is helpful uh, there, uh, because I don't want to suggest that in the end times, uh, just as some have suggested uh, in a lot of church world, uh, that end times is just, I don't know, shrug your shoulders and move on. I don't, I don't get it. Revelation, who knows? That's not what I'm suggesting here. There is a lot of clarity around end times throughout the scriptures. However, there are some of those details as you get into them that are less clear. 
Okay, there, there are some details as you get into there uh, to eschatology or to the end times that uh, some of those details, yes, I believe you, could, you should uh, study them out and understand where you're at on them, uh, but uh, the, the specific clarity on maybe a particular issue like even pre-tribulationalism is a little bit uh, up for discussion. Um, and so, uh, as you think about it, uh, there's views on the end times are often considered uh, in that secondary category, but as you start drilling down into those, there's ones that are even less significant than the overall system that you may be discussing within eschatology or the end times. Uh, so specific details within those views might be kind of more towards this third category. For example, debates over precise timing of certain events would be probably pressing more towards this third, this third category. Uh, so, for example, and I just want to dig into this one. We won't as much in each of the others, but I just want to give you kind of a sampling of what I mean by this. The concept of pre-tribulational rapture that some, some of you may already be glazing over, like, I don't know what you're, what you're talking about. But the rapture is primarily associated with the certain interpretation of Christian eschatology, particularly within dispensational theology. This would be where New Community Church is at, theologically. As a leadership team, this is where we're at. Uh, dispensationalism is a theological framework that divides human history into distinct periods or dispensations. And it often includes a belief in pre-tribulational rapture. Okay, so that's kind of a subcategory within the overarching dispensationalism, okay? Uh, so I'm not talking about the overall overarching you know, system here. I'm talking about a subcategory within it. While the term rapture itself is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible, proponents of the pre-tribulationalism view often cite various biblical passages to support their or our uh, position. And some of the key scriptures that are commonly uh, talked about are, and I'll, I'll give you some of them. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. And it says this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet, call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And so proponents of pre-tribulationalism uh, rapture see this as a passage describing the sudden catching away of believers before a period of tribulation. Okay, so what that means, we'll just break it down a little bit, pre, right, before tribulation, right? So that's, that's all we're suggesting within that realm of eschatology is that uh, to say that pre-tribulational is that the saints that are saved before the tribulation takes place will be taken away, right? All right, so that's, that's helpful to understand there. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52 is another passage that we would often go to. And it says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be rise, 
imperishable, and we will be changed. And so this passage is also, also often used as evidence for the idea of a sudden pre-tribulational gathering of believers that will all be taken away. Revelation 3.10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Okay? So we would look at this passage and say uh, from this that there's a promise to believers that will be spared from that tribulational period, that will be taken away, that will be saved from it. Okay? And it's important to note that interpretations of these passages can vary depending on uh, Christian denominations and theological traditions and personal theological convictions, and that's okay. Uh, the pre-tribulational rapture is just one perspective, and there are alternative views such as mid-tribulationalism and post-tribulational rapture positions. So as you can follow, right, pre is before, mid would be in the middle of it, and post would be after it, right? So there's different people that would line up on different uh, places as it relates to uh, where they think in God's plan of rapturing his people where that's going to fall in God's prophetic timeline okay uh, so that's that's all we're saying with this uh, mid-tribulational rapture is a view as I said within Christian eschatology that suggests the rapture of the church the gathering of believers will occur in the middle of a seven-year period commonly associated with that tribulational period again we'd love to spend a lot more time in eschatology and we probably should do that in a quick class sometime but uh, this is just really high level. And so with that, uh, often that same passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, mid-tribulationists would argue that um, the last trumpet, they, they argue that is this event that corresponds to the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, linking the rapture with a specific moment within the overall prophetic timeline there in the middle of that that time. So they're going to argue where, where we would see it as uh, we, we think that's happening as you put those, you know, specifically those three passages that I read in pre-tribulationalism uh, in that perspective, we would say if you put all that together, it seems to argue for being raptured before the tribulation. Others would say, eh, I just don't quite see it that way. I think it's going to happen in the middle there. And we could spend a whole lot more time talking about that. Post-tribulationalists uh, would also have arguments. They believe that the rapture of the church will occur after the seven-year tribulation period described in certain biblical prophecies. Unlike pre-tribulationalists who believe in a rapture before the tribulation and mid-tribulationalists who believe in a rapture in the midpoint, post-tribulationalists argued that believers will go through the whole tribulation and will be caught up to meet Christ in the air after those events take place. Okay? And they would quote passages like 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, right? Same passage. They view it differently. They see that's going to happen in God's timing at the end of it. And they would see this passage, as well as others, as describing the rapture in conjunction with the second coming of Christ after the tribulation. And so why do I say all that? Well, I want to show you, this is a, a helpful uh, kind of views of the world as we know it, the end of the world as we know it. 
Okay, I didn't come up with this. A uh, guy, Tim Challies, and a guy that he works with on, on design came up with it. It's really helpful. You obviously can't read. The, the, <laughs> the, but it's, it's an overview here. We're talking about this category right here, right? So then there's post-millennialism, there's amillennialism. Those are major categories within eschatology, right? We're just, everything I just talked about is just this right here. And there's, just within all this, way more arms that can come off and talk. I'm, I'm in the middle of a picture there. Uh, but uh, there, there's so much there. And again, this is not to say that these issues are insignificant. They're important. We should study them. We should understand them to the best that we possibly can. But just within our own camp, there's going to be differences. And we should be okay and comfortable with having those kind of conversations with grace and with humility to understand that there are going to be significant differences upon which we can be okay to agree to disagree and that they approach the passages that I read, uh, and you can, again, go do that work on your own to look at how do they argue that passage to get to their conclusion. Go, go look into it. Go spend the time. That's good study to do that. But my purpose is just for illustration to show that just within a camp of eschatology, there's branches that come off that we can have some differences and diversity within the same church and be okay right uh it's it's gonna be uh it's gonna be all right <laughs> uh and uh but but sometimes we can take an issue like this and well, oh, well i think you know and uh we would have those conversations in seminary and and i think there's more room to have it in a seminary class because that's what you're there for right uh but uh to do that with with grace and kindness and love uh, to understand that there's going to be some diversity at that level. Uh, did I see a hand there? Yeah. I was just going to ask if you like would put this on the Sure. Table. Yeah, I meant to do that last week. I need to get all this stuff uploaded. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yes, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, any other questions on that before I move on to, uh, and, and not in the weeds of eschatology, because that's <laughs> not what we're here for today. But, uh, yeah. Well, <clears throat> the first question is how clear is the Bible on this a doctrine yeah right. yes how do you determine the clarity yeah because you read those verses it might be very clear to yeah. this person yeah and this person says oh that's not so clear yeah yeah so I think that issue gets back to a question that Tony asked me the first week uh, is hermeneutics and I think that's a whole nother discipline outside of the practice of theological triage, but that is the answer that we could spend a whole lot more time going through what is your approach to hermeneutics? How do you, the science and art, you know, it's like all Greek to you, right? Uh, what is hermeneutics? Is the science and art of Bible interpretation. Uh, so what you're seeking to do is understand the text that's in front of you, right? And we could spend a lot of time going through uh, what is our hermeneutic and where did we get our hermeneutic from? And I would argue that we actually get our hermeneutic from the biblical writers. Uh, and we can see how do they understand the text that they're reading? Uh, how do New Testament readers go back and see and understand the Old Testament? Well, I would argue from a literal historical grammatical standpoint 
But what happens in some of these situations in brief is that they begin to diverge from what I would call a consistent literal grammatical historical interpretation. And that, we, again, we could spend all, we'll have, a lot more we'll time. We'll have a class on that in the future. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, actually, I think we have. I think uh, uh, Eric Grant has taught it uh, and, and will again in the future, yes. Uh, but how do, we, how do we approach the scriptures? How do we study them? Uh, that's where we get our clarity from. Uh, and so here, yes, it's just a question, but underneath all of that is hermeneutics. How do, how do we get clarity? Hermeneutics, uh, proper biblical hermeneutics. Yeah, Jay. Do you think? Do you think like I guess I have two questions. One, do you think we ever go into like over definition mode? <laughs> like maybe there just isn't really a, a picture that we're supposed to pull out of scripture on a specific issue, but. Um, Yes, I think it's possible, uh, depending on on what the issue is, and yeah, yeah. And then my other question is kind of in line with that, like, and maybe you've already answered this. I'm sorry, I wasn't here last week. Yeah, that's good. At what point? At what point during the one, two, three, four? Yeah. Would a person like me who hasn't studied a lot of this stuff, and I'm looking for a teacher, not necessarily like a peer that I'm discussing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sure. But at what point would I say, okay, well, I can't really trust that person's teaching not on that specific issue but on just in general because maybe they are not aligned right like i wouldn't i wouldn't trust somebody's teaching on the bible if they disagree on a tier one issue right 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 but what about tier two yeah about tier three like when does a teacher become excluded i guess yeah from usefulness yeah so clearly tier one you're you're out of orthodoxy right (laughs) um so that that's that's the easy one uh level two uh, so Dan was asking me even this morning before class, so where does women preachers fit in, you know, to, to this? Uh, well, I, I would not put them in level one, uh, because everything that we've said, uh, about level one, but, uh, it is high on the level two. And I talked last week about the, the theological spectrum, right? So, uh, it's not just clear, clean little buckets of one, two, three, it's, it's a spectrum, uh, but, uh, I would put that one pretty high on uh, the level two uh, to understand that, um, you know, I, I think that's a really, so we get how clear is the Bible on this doctrine? Well, I think it's really clear personally um, on that issue. And so uh, I would never submit myself or my family uh, to a church where that is their theological stance and practice. So on that one, I'm just using that as an example, kind of the hat, because it was asked this morning. Uh, but on that one, uh, that that would make the quick cut of like, yeah, no, that's, that's not going to work. Uh, but maybe towards the bottom of tier two, and I'm trying to think of a really good example off the top of my head, uh, and depending on my uh, context, where I lived, uh, what was offered as church options, um, if, uh, if the only thing that was uh, available was a, um, a church that was very much seeking to be faithful to the text, but they believed in charismatic gifts, well, I would go there. Uh, if that was what, you know, I was... Uh, afforded the, you know, so, so it's just gonna, there's going to be a little bit of a gradation there and trying to figure out, 
depending on what the issue is, uh, working through these uh, questions, what puts it outside of something, and then personal conviction and conscience, which we haven't really even talked about that much, but we will probably next week. Well, we'll have to next week. Um, and uh, it, it comes to play on that of like, okay, what am I personally, based on my study of the scripture, what am I comfortable with, and does this place them outside of that? Does that help? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I think last week you said the tier two would be where you would recommend someone, another church in the area, right? So using that same example, yeah. how would you determine that? So you would recommend if someone values or ministers another local church? Yeah, with a lot of caveats, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, my hope would be that I could help them in that. Right, that's uh, what I guess I'm asking. Would you prioritize encouragement in teaching them to stay, or? Yeah, it depends on their spirit, I think. Um, I, th- I think it depends on whether they're teachable and whether they're willing to let us try to help them come to understand that as we do. Uh, as the scriptures would teach, um, and if they're willing to kind of hang in there on that, uh, to be what I would just call discipled and understanding, maybe they've just never had uh, what I would consider good teaching as it relates to that issue. Uh, and if they're willing to say, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll do a study with you and, and work through that, okay, great, let's do it. Um, so I, I would say that's kind of that first level uh, where like, I, I hope to help that person along and understand why we believe what we believe, not just, nope, this is what we believe, see ya. Um, you know, it, I, I would hope to bring them along in that. But if at the end of that process, they're like, no, I'm just convinced that, you know, you guys are wrong, and this, then I'm going to try graciously help them, uh, you know, find uh, a church uh, on that issue. I, I'm going to struggle, right? Because uh, it, it, I'm not going to probably be convinced that that's even a good church for them to attend. Um, because, uh, well, and I'll just say it now, but we'll probably come back to it. Uh, what, what I think some of the questions over the last few weeks and, and maybe even today are coming out of is kind of an understanding of, uh, well, what happens when we're getting down into the second and third tier issues and all of a sudden we're back at the issue of the authority of scripture? Well, it didn't become a first-tier issue. It's still a second- or third-tier issue, but what I've now discovered in that conversation working with that person is that there's a deficiency up at Tier 1 that they may not know or realize, so I need to kind of come back up here and talk about the authority of Scripture with them. And that's where I would want to go with that individual is like, hey, let's talk about the Scripture's authority first, do you believe that? Like, you know, all of it and, you know, kind of walk through that, you know, inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, all of that kind of, you know, talk through that with them and then uh, go to some of those key texts that would deal with the issue and say, like, it, it seems clear to me, here's how I understand it, uh, that this is, you know, what the scriptures teach on that issue. Uh, my hope, again, would be that, oh, wow, I, I've never seen that clarity in the scripture before you know I, I would hope that would be the result again if not then then i'm going to have to have kind of a harder conversation in that in that sense of trying to find somewhere where they would be uh 
able to to worship the Lord, and I'm going to pray for that person, uh, and uh, trust that the Lord in time will uh, convince them of the truthfulness of truth, and through the work of the Spirit in their life. Does that help? I think that's good. I think, okay. I yeah. Feel like that would be Yeah. Yeah. And it happens. I mean, I think I may have mentioned last week um, that that uh, that's really the goal and purpose of or at least one of them of our discovering NCC class here is we want to make sure everyone understands where we're coming from uh, theologically and uh, take the opportunity. And as it kind of develops through that, uh, we often have opportunities in that membership interview to hear and understand where they're coming from and to kind of hold up the train uh, if we need to, to say, hey, uh, we, we think this is an area of discipleship that we really need to shore up before we're going to put you forward in membership. Uh, that, that happens, uh, and, and, and it should, I think, because uh, we're seeking to guard uh, the, the gates, as it were, uh, for, for membership to make sure that we're all unified uh, to the best that we can uh, on key issues that we would deem. And some of that just ends up coming down to uh, the plurality of elders that God has put in a local congregation to uh, try to make those calls. So please pray for us. Uh, it's, it, it gets complicated at times. So, yeah. I think there, there's significance, too, like you're talking about in, in like coming alongside of the individual who's having to make the decision, but in evaluating the teacher or the pastor or whatever in how they're coming to the conclusion that they come to. Because mm-hmm. like if a woman pastor, like you Sure. This is my understanding of when I approach the scriptures, what it's coming to. Like, I still would be cautious with that, but at least it's helping you understand the better idea. And same thing with cessationism versus charismatic or whatever. Like, if they're coming at it from an experiential authority or a preferential authority, that's very different than a scriptural authority of saying, like, this is what I'm understanding the scriptures to say. That I would be much more comfortable submitting myself to someone who's there rather than I've had this experience or I prefer this method. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Good comments. Yeah. Anything else? Brevin. Yeah. Uh, I guess any practical tips to keep him from being just, just real quick. These guys aren't all mad at me, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to worship team for, for the service. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. We're all good. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a book review from a trusted yeah. ministry that was rather aggravated dissection of that book. Uh, and so I was kind of disheartened uh, at that. Uh, and any practical tips to fighting the disheartenedness of that kind of clashing between trusted resources that end up being kind of nasty in nature? Yeah, um, they should come to our class. <laughs> that may sound prideful. I don't mean it that way, but um, honestly, that is a large reason I wanted to do this class. Not that specific one necessarily. I'm very familiar with what you're talking about, uh, but those types of things are very damaging. Whether it's to the local 
church or to the church corporate. Um, and um, and the, we just need to really be careful of that, and because it does, it uh, it, it uh, has an effect on uh, even broader, you know, you know, people, you know, the readership, and you know, those kind of things. To that that you know is not a necessarily healthy thing. And so I would just say the importance of that for our lives is not to follow that and emulate that in our own lives. Uh, to have that balance and that grace, uh, critiquing book critiques. I mean, we did it in seminary all the time. Like we had, we had to write critiques all the time of books. And uh, you know, one of the things uh, specifically for that one uh, that uh, we were told is, hey, when you're writing a critique, you can't critique him for what he didn't intend to write. Uh, that's what happened in large part in that situation. He, he was. He was trying to emphasize the gentle and lowly nature of Christ. That's what he was writing for, and he got blasted for something he wasn't even trying to write. Uh, so we could talk more about that, but uh, let's not do that ourselves, I think, is the short answer of learn from that, of like, ooh, yeah, that was rough. I don't want to do that. And when you have opportunities, whether it's in writing or just interaction with others, uh, let's learn grace and uh, yeah good question yeah anything else let's let's try to get through a few more categories um, and, and they won't be nearly as long uh, liturgical practices okay differences in worship practice liturgy kind of the the formation of a worship service is, is what the idea is there uh, church traditions are often uh, secondary as long as they do not compromise essential doctrines uh, specific liturgical practices, such as the use uh, of different things, even on their stage, like what we put up last week, right? Uh, th that's that's like third order issues that uh, really are pretty insignificant um, on the order of worship, and and uh, some would argue, well, that's really helpful, and others would say, oh, I think it's a distraction. Um, and, and we can, we can think about things in, in that, uh, sense, uh, church worship music, church worship music, differences in musical style and preferences within worship services might be considered, uh, third rank. So for, I'll just tell you a story. When I moved out to California and started seminary there at, and went to Grace Church, uh, you know, I, after a few weeks there, I, I was often struck, and, and no offense to anyone that, that that's their particular style of, of worship, that's fine, uh, but that was not what I was coming from, and when I got to Grace, big pipe organ, I felt like it was either a circus or someone just died. Uh, and I was just like, you know, da, 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 and, you know, there's just like all this, you know, stuff that I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Or it would be like this really minor key, like, you know, drone of a pipe organ that was just like, for me, really difficult, like, uh, to, to like learn how to worship in that setting because that's not what I was coming from, nor did it fit my personal worship preference. Uh, and, but I had to acknowledge, Hey, I'm going to be here for four years. I'm nobody here. I need to bend myself and my preferences 
to where God has me. Uh, and this is not an issue of right or wrong. The, the content of what was being sung was solid. It was all content driven. So all that was great. It was just style. It was just a style that I didn't personally prefer. Uh, and so those can quickly become uh, easily third, if not even fourth level uh, matters. Uh, preferable Bible translation. I think I mentioned this a week or two ago. Preferences for specific Bible translations. Uh, while relevant for study and understanding, may be considered less central to the hierarchy of theological issues. Now, there's certainly some, that's also a spectrum, right? Uh, that I would be like, ooh, like, we should talk about that, you know? I don't, I'm not sure why you're using that translation, because it's not even really a translation, uh, you know? Um, but there's, there's wide spectrum there that, uh, that we can have uh, an understanding. And I think we do, like at New Community, I see like, a wide range of people's translations that they use. And frankly, I think that's a pretty healthy thing. Uh, we've chosen to use the ESV here uh, just because we think it's the most readable, accurate version uh, that we can use. Uh, but if you're using the NASB or KJV, just don't be KGVO, uh, meaning only. Uh, uh, so, you know, there's, there's uh, a spectrum there that we should be willing to say, hey, Good for you. Like, I know a lot of people, they grew up, uh, you know, uh, memorizing a, a particular translation. Great. Like, as long as it's a good one, go for it. Like, and we should just not have, as I mentioned, I think, uh, in, in some environments where uh, that is a divisive issue uh, over uh, a particular translation. Um, how about uh, approaches to evangelism? Uh, while evangelism is crucial, even as, again, we heard this morning uh, from Pastor Rich, uh, it's a crucial aspect of our Christian faith, uh, specific methodologies or approaches may be considered uh, of third importance. Uh, for example, evidential apologetics versus presuppositional. Now, again, I know I'm using big uh, words here, but whether we use evidence or not to try to, you know, uh, help knock down the roadblocks to faith. Or whether a presuppositional approach is just, no, this is the truth, this is the gospel, you know, the Spirit will use that and convict hearts. So that's kind of at a high level, a couple of different approaches on, uh, on, on uh, evangelism. But there's also others. Uh, the use or the requirement of the use of the Ten Commandments, some argue. Um, street preaching versus lifestyle evangelism. You know, and, and we can get really up in arms about some of these things sometimes of, you know, what the right approach is versus uh, what maybe just someone is particularly gifted and passionate about. And we should leave room for that. Uh, denominational traditions. Uh, certain denominations practice or traditions that uh, do not directly impact the essential doctrines may be considered of third importance and even uh, denominational affiliations themselves. So we're non-denominational as a church, right? Uh, so we don't have a close connection to a denomination. But, uh, you know, it, for those of you that are familiar with us, we would certainly have uh, affiliations and things that, that we're, 
we would be very close and like-minded with uh, some denominations, but some people make denominations as like the end all. Like you have to be Southern Baptist uh, or you have to be, you know, this or, or you know, you're kind of at least maybe looked down upon a little bit. Uh, and I just think we have to be uh, careful about that, even as non you know, denominationalists. Well, we're non-denominational. No, like, you know, we're, we're about the Bible. Like, that's what we want to be. Uh, we just want to understand. I often, when I, people are asking me, well, what kind of church are you? I say, well, you know, we're just a church that wants to do one thing really well. We just want to understand what God's word says. And that's kind of our one trick pony that we ride. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what we do. Uh, come check us out sometime. You know, that, that's kind of my my thing uh, that I'll tell people, because uh, it's not about, you know, a denomination, non-denomination. It's just about, you know, understanding the Bible, what God's communicated to us in a way that's helpful. Uh, so it's important to note that the concept of third-rank doctrines is not universally recognized or agreed upon as primary and even secondary doctrines can be. Uh, and the categorization of doctrines into different ranks is a tool uh, within just theological triage to prioritize and try to help get our minds around uh, this thing. Uh, but the specifics may vary among different theological traditions and even individual perspectives. And we need to be cautious about that. We need to be aware of that in a way that would be helpful to unity and love within uh, the church local as well as uh, the, the global church as well. Um, and so I just wanted to put another uh, uh, thing up here that, uh, that I got from Jonathan Arnold that I thought was a really helpful way. I don't know if you can all see this. Again, I'll try to, I'll, I'll get it posted. Uh, but it's a way to try, kind of view everything that, <laughs> uh, everybody's getting their binoculars out, uh, that, uh, that we can understand these categories that we've talked through. All right, so uh, kind of this line here that goes across the first primary issues is the essentials. The gospel is at stake, right? We talked about that either to defend or to proclaim, right? That, that's what we're concerned about uh, at that level. And then we talked about this a little bit as well, is what these things can lead to, right? If we try to push first issues down, um, and, and make them as unimportant, then that will eventually lead to a liberalism uh, that minimizes or denies essentials. Like, oh, just that, none of that really matters. But if we try to move these up, it will move to, to everything as first area concerns, then it's sectarianism and treat some non-essentials as essentials. It's like we, you know, and we just need to be careful about that. So uh, just, I, I'm not trying to, you know, bag on it at all, but I, I grew up in a environment where, you know, it was kind of the fundamentalist world, and, and this is what I felt a lot, is just kind of pushing these types of issues up to be, uh, at least what I heard, as essential, and they were not. Uh, they, they just weren't essential issues, um, and so uh, this is kind of a helpful uh, thing that I'll post, and uh, you can uh, try to help uh, think through those issues uh, perhaps a little more. Um, let's talk a little bit. Uh, I'll just introduce it here because uh, I know we have um, time constraints, but 
Uh, fourth order issues are preferences or matters over which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship. So it's, I, some people would not even add this fourth category. Uh, I think it's helpful kind of as a catch-all uh, of what didn't happen in first, second, and third tier here that we've talked about. It's important that we do not begin to treat issues as more important than what they really are and allow for division within relationships within the local or universal body of Christ. Um, and so, um, let's see if I have some, uh, same, same questions here, right, uh, that we want to ask of that. Uh, but the concept of fourth rank issues is not uh, widely recognized. It's more an informal uh, category that I'm kind of uh, building here. A few others have, have kind of talked about it uh, as well. But uh, we're really talking about Christian liberty issues here. Uh, I think that might be your first uh, bullet point there. These are matters related to Christian liberty, such as even dietary preferences or the observance of certain holidays, perhaps, uh, are often considered secondary or, you know, and further down in this list, and that they become areas of legalism uh, if we're not careful. Uh, This quickly kind of develops into this legalistic perspective. Uh, Secondly, there would be personal devotional practices. The specific method or materials used in personal devotions, like a prayer journal, devotions, or meditation techniques. And I don't mean that in a weird Eastern mysticism kind of way. I just mean biblical meditation. Um, Could uh, be viewed as matters of personal preferences as well. Not whether you do them or not, but how they're done, right? Uh, Of course we're as Christians going to be involved in these things and personal devotions, we should be, but, uh, exactly. You know, I, I hear, Oh, like, you know, morning, you got, it's gotta be morning. Uh, show me chapter and verse on that. Uh, and some people even try, you know, that, you know, rose up early and went, uh, okay. Uh, but I would say all the time, like, you know, pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that? You know, we could talk about all that. But um, corporate worship preferences. I kind of talked about this one, but this is kind of that next level down a little bit. Preferences for contemporary or traditional worship styles, as long as they do not compromise essential elements of worship, might be seen as less central. Like, it's just not as big and important of an issue as sometimes are made. Uh, But yet, you know, uh, maybe I'll poke the bear here a little bit. Uh, some churches uh, will present a traditional and a contemporary worship service. Well, I think, you know, and we believe, actually, as elders, this isn't just Jeremiah, but that's a way to start dividing a church. Uh, well, we're of this and we're of that. No, we work really hard to make sure first service and second service every Sunday is as similar as possible for that reason. We want everyone to know and to understand that we're not going to try to make any room for disunity within the body of Christ. And, and that sometimes is a way that's set up um, unintentionally, I think, and others would certainly argue against, but uh, uh, think that that's a very helpful thing to do as a church. We, we just don't here. Um, Here's one that might surprise you, but church architecture and style. Some people make a big deal about that, uh, that 
you have to have you know certain things in order to uh, to worship. Uh, dress codes would be another one. Preferences or expectations regarding dress codes for church services, uh, or even I'll, I'll add this, and that's probably another poke the bear, right? This is what I mean by like you know it's like you get into these issues and it's like oh all of a sudden uh, is personal modesty like people have different issues on where the line is for modesty and what what that should look like cultural customs personal disciplines whether to work out or not and how much to work out and you know these things specific church involvement right um how how involved is somebody are they at everything all the time or not uh, well, then they're not a spiritual, right? That's, that's how the argument kind of goes. Well, that's just very dangerous ground to be uh, thinking like that. Preferred Bible study tools. It's kind of similar to the other one. Um, just what kind of Bible study method do you use? Educational choices and methods, right? Whether you homeschool, whether you're public school, whether you're private school. Like, these things can become these issues by which we begin to have uh, consternation and conflicts within the body of Christ that uh, are simply not the level of issues and concerns that we should ever allow to divide us within the body of Christ. You can be very convinced that homeschooling is the right way to go, <coughs> and I applaud that for you, right? We Right now, we're like you know, split half and half, or my family, like my kids, uh, two in private school, two at home. Uh, and it's not because we think one's better than the other, obviously, right? Or we would be internally conflicted. Uh, it's just that uh, that's what works best and what we have determined right now for our family that we think is going to, uh, that's the wisest and thing that please the Lord uh, with our educational choices. Will there be a day where we decide to send our, one of our kids or multiple of our kids to public school? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but uh, that's, that's just an area that we have to be really careful and cautious within the body of Christ as well as many of these other areas that we don't allow these things that if you look at these questions, how clear is the Bible matter on this matter of education? Well, some people like to argue, Right. Uh, the, the FIC folk uh, in, that, in that world would, would argue that, no, homeschooling, they can make the argument that, uh, you know, Deuteronomy 6, that it's, it is the right way. Uh, well, I, I would have my reasons, and that goes outside of the time that we have because we're over time. But uh, all that to say, I'm belaboring the point, all these are issues where we have to be really careful to maintain the unity of the body of Christ at new community and outside of new community uh, because they are, prefer I would argue at least, that they are largely preferential issues that each person in their conscience, each couple, each family needs to make on their own based upon their own personal study and understanding of the scripture. So I uh, hope that's helpful. Next week what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to come with a bunch of examples and you guys are going to start putting them in the categories and then try to defend it with scripture. So, uh, yes, last thing. Sure. Yeah, I can do that next week. Yeah, that'd be good. All right. Uh, I'm over time, so you're dismissed. Thanks, guys.